Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. You're listening to Castrol CarCast on Podcast One. First, I'll hit uh, betonline.ag. I'll buy you guys a little time. NFL and college football plus World Series. You can uh, visit betonline.ag. Take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Use the promo code PODCAST1 for a 50% sign-up bonus. Matchups week nine, San Fran at Arizona, the unbeaten Niners. Wow. Minnesota at KC, that should be a good game. Detroit at Oakland and many others. Also, we've got uh, 500 bucks in rewards to give out each week to five listeners, and you can add a $5,000 season-long charity contest. Join the conversation at Twitter at hashtag SportsNetChallenge. And uh, let's see, San Fran at Arizona, that'll be my lock. I'll take San Fran, 34-14. Use the promo code PODCAST1. Receive a 50% sign-up bonus today. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Air. Fuel. Spark. The trinity of power. You need all three to bring your engine to life. Kenny and Norm knew that, which is why for over 50 years, the company that bears their name has been re-engineering what filtration can do. Engineered to protect against dirt and scientifically proven to provide up to 50% more airflow. KNN, 50 years of performance and innovation. Get it on, got to get it on, no choice but to get it on, man, get it on, and welcome to the uh, CarCast SEMA edition. I'm Adam Crawl, it's Matt, the moderator, DeAndrea, Hello. over there. Level's okay, Chris Max Pata. Yeah. Steve Williams is with us, uh, Richard Bisson is uh, with us as well, uh, both from KNN. We'll talk about that in one second. Uh, Patrick Dempsey should be in here soon enough, uh, Keanu and Guard Hollinger from uh, Arch, I think, are going to come by, we're going to hit it all uh good to see you steve good to see you richard great to be here adam thanks for having us yeah uh, good morning happy uh happy 50th anniversary thank you, you very much we, we really have a appreciate huge that. presence here at sema this year and uh some incredible uh vehicles in the booths adam mentioned arch motorcycles and you got a new partnership with them and a couple of their bikes out front and uh 
this incredible Porsche 935 behind us as well with a 345, I don't know, 3019 tire on it. It's, <laughs> There's it's a, a crazy <laughs> twin-turboed Porsche. looks a little like my 935, yeah. but uh, a little more extreme in, in, its own, in its own weird way. Steve is the uh, K&N chief engineer officer, and he's also engineering officer, I'd say, also drag racer. And uh, Richard, you're the CEO. Uh, uh, is that correct? Yes, I'm All the right. new CEO. I've been here since uh, June, and I'm really excited about uh, K&N and uh, our 50th year anniversary, and then uh, moving on for the next 50. Uh, Steve, you do what kind of racing? Actually, I race with the NHRA. I've done it for uh, about 25 or 30 years, and uh, we race dragsters, and then I have a 63 Corvette racing super gas and super comp. So the dragster is about a – it'll run about 200, 210, okay. um, and we run in a class that runs 890, but it's, it's about a 650 car and a quarter mile. So and, and last year we won the championship, so I'm celebrating not only a world championship with NHRA, but I've been with the company for 24 years and watched it grow through the years, and it's always been vested in racing. It's such a big part – of the DNA of what K&N is. Kenny and Norm were motorcycle racers. Is that and the so K and the... That is yeah. it, yep. Wow. Yep, Kenny so, and Norm. So simple. <laughs> and and they, they started out of what? Where, where did K&N begin? You know, K&N actually started in Riverside, California, and Kenny and Norm, believe it or not, had a motorcycle where they sold motorcycles. And a, Malcolm Smith, who's a pretty famous desert racer i mean yeah. he's like a legend you know on, on any, any sunday, sunday sure and, you know yeah you know paul newman he, he would do trials he would oh. do desert stuff he'd go out with steve mcqueen oh, yeah. and just crush it yeah yeah so a lot of us were and probably local. flat track too even or maybe not flat track i don't know he, he did race flat track and, and then flat track yeah. <laughs> there you and go. both both kenny and norm were flat track racers well in those days you know they used to race jawas you know the old triumphs you know, of course, Harley Davidson, about anything you could, you know, hang your leg over, they would race at local fairgrounds. Well, they had little paper filters, and it, the tracks would get too muddy. They'd cave in, and then the dirt go in the motor, and then that would seize and be over with. So Kenny and Norm actually invented the very first washable, reusable K&N for Kenny and Norm for motorcycle racing. So the whole company's heritage is right there in Riverside, California, Started there, still there today. We have 850 employees and uh, got involved in auto racing. It was all a natural motocross racing. I mean, you know, the business really, though, grew up out of motorcycle racing. It It did. It's interesting how the brand has grown so much. It's just a combination of, of, I don't know, just a simple enough product. It's the first mod everybody does. It's just you can get it everywhere. So I guess distribution is part of the model as well. But... You know, it just seems like uh, certainly when when I was growing up with cars starting at, you know, 16, 15, 16, you know, uh, that's that's the first thing you grab is the K&N filter. Yeah. You know, it's it's a it's an amazing brand. Well, that it's you guys the easiest the horsepower to put on your car, <laughs> I mean, or bike or whatever. I mean, you know, when you start getting into exhaust and cams and start opening up the bottom end of the engine and. All that kind of stuff. The the first thing you do for the power is K&N just because it works. Yeah. And it's easier and you can add some. How, how much of the business now, I'm guessing a lot of it is like cartridge replacement, if I'm not 
using that term correctly, but opening up the box in a standard F-150 and dropping in a K&N element. Yeah, yeah versus I mean, an the, intake kit. Of yeah, sorts. I mean, the business has different product families. It's obviously grown through the years. But, I mean, we are, you know, one of the number one selling performance oil filters. Um, we oh, have yeah. a, And it's all about, you know, being able to filter the oil with less restriction. But then there's the replacement air filter we're known for. We're the only reusable product. So it's not only does it breathe more air, of course, in our, you know, has less pressure drop. But then if you want to get deeper into the car, then, of course, replacing the whole intake system with a brand new tube that's designed to increase the power and the throttle body. So that complete intake track, we sell those. Uh, we just started the last few years selling exhaust systems because, obviously, if you get good at airflow, not just the air flowing into the engine, yeah. but going out of the engine. So we do a lot of OEM private label exhaust. So the business really has grown into a true performance, and it kind of goes with the consumer, whether you just want the, the easy modification or you want to do something a little more technical. And, well, and you and, don't want to just be good at inhaling. You want to you build up time your exhale. Right. I've tried. I kind of. Because I thought, like, what's the best part of breathing? <laughs> yeah. And I went inhaling. Inhaling. Like, you know, when you're underwater and you come up from the deep yeah. end, that's the best part. And one night I tried. I said, you know what? I'm just going to inhale for a while and see if it's that much better. I passed out after like nine minutes. My kids found me. I was in the shower. It wasn't pretty. It's yeah. not pretty. That's yeah. All right. Note to self. Exhale. You got to have the combination you of stuff. You got to come in through the K&N. You got to leave through the exhaust. Yeah, now. it's uh, like you were saying. The quickest way to add a couple of horsepower is the filter swap. But I think we kind of forget that the intake it creates noise as well. And one way to tailor noise is not just the exhaust. It's it's on the intake side as well. You run air filters on on one of your race cars and then take them off, and you you will notice the difference significantly. Yeah, it's always interesting to me, whenever one thinks about decibels, they always think about the exhaust and are you running glass packs or cat packs or whatever you're running. Are you running open, whatever. But they don't realize the intake makes a ton of noise. Like if you're just running, you know, I got a couple of cars with triple Webers, a couple of Z cars and things like that. You run open stacks, it is noisy as it's got it's a hell. real drone to it. Well, you remember the old Dodges? I mean, the old 440s. I yeah. mean, you could really hear that intake sound. And I've, it's actually the second attribute. Consumers, the number one attribute is obviously the performance or the throttle response. Yeah. But the second attribute is the sound. It, it makes yeah. the car sound like it has more performance. It increases that sound. In drag racing, you, you run filters on on all of your drag race cars and what i mean is is does everybody in racing run filters or do you just run filters it really do, we know there are a lot more air filters in racing than most people realize and yeah. in fact in our booth here we actually have an air filter from the car that won the Indy 500 cuz we make filters for those cars um, obviously short tracks modified dirt tracks there's sprint car filters if you go around the booth you see that almost every form of racing requires that protection level. Now, obviously, it has less restriction you know, on a drag car. It's a very specific type of motor. We're the official air filter of NASCAR. There are more K&N air filters in NASCAR than there are any other filter because of that 
lower pressure drop. So, it, and in it, fact, I mean, I, I used to live by Riverside Raceway before they closed it. Yeah. So there were actually Canon filters at Riverside Raceway back in the 70s. So. Is uh, Indy run, so at the 500, all those cars are running filters. Is Now, obviously, they have a lot of money for engines, and they're, not, they're worried a little more about winning than they are about wear and tear, probably. How does that factor in? Like, what, what is the thinking behind that? If they go open, well, scared something's going to get sucked in? It's or a great question. The, the actual filter, because they do post-race inspection, when they opened up the air box into the fuel injection box, there's a hot dog wrapper on the outside of the filter on the car that won. Really? Now, what would have happened if that paper filter would have gone down inside the engine? Man, I got Hard to say. Could it maybe hold the intake valve if open? my driver was been. eating a hot dog <laughs> yeah. during a race, let me finish. Yeah. Too close to the pace I'm car. sorry. I know it's a long race. And I know you can get peckish out on the road. But How do they I, get it? Is it in the water tube? And there's no, like there, a separate it, hot dog it's tube? inside that because in the inlet. But what the real reason they run it is if you notice, they, t- they call it the marbles. Right. Oh, the, the marbles. Groove, yes. Well, no, those, you're right. That tire flips all those little right. pieces of rubber up. You, so yeah. this filter's designed to keep you, that out. Yep. We, I do a 25, maybe a 30 minute race at Laguna Seca in a 9:35, and you go to the front of the car after oh. the race, and there's just marbles just stuck, stuck just all over the everywhere. all over the front yeah. of it. And it's yeah, in every were, nook and cranny yeah. of that car. Yeah. It's it's pretty much it's, it's pretty in much drag racing. You're usually behind someone that's on the starting line. Yeah, and so it's really and believe it or not, when they leave the line, the tires don't. It doesn't dead stick. It does have wheel speed. Yeah, and if you're behind it, it'll shoot up rocks, things that are on the track. It'll come into your car in through the intake. So it's really about just keeping that stuff out of the engine. Yeah, crazy. Richard, I feel like uh, you were getting short shrift over here. Um, well, how, you, you're, the new, you're the new CEO. Yeah. Which you must have been doing something before this that had something to do with the automotive world, the performance world. What, what's, why are you here? Why do you deserve to be here? Why should we listen to you? you know, so I'm actually the consumer product guy, right? Mm-hmm. So... Right here, Steve is the DNA of our company. He's the racing guy. But what he didn't tell you about is we also make filtration products for the home and, and industry. Really? Right. And so, I mean, what we do at the end of the day is we're experts at filtration. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so I'm here as you, the consumer products guy. I, have, you know of a company called Waterpick? Yeah. So I was there for about 12 years. We took Waterpick from, you know, pretty much down and out to to, you know, kicking kick ass against Oral-B and Sonicare. Yeah. I was looking at this guy's teeth <laughs> when we met, and I was like, something in the Something's dental hygiene you water flossing? area. Yeah. <laughs> I do have a water pick. My dentist uh, told me to get a water pick. That's right. And uh, it's awesome. It's, it's, it's good. I, the, the, the irony is I really use it only when I go to see the dentist. <laughs> I do that move. <laughs> You know, you know, the hygienist knows you are not fooling her. Yes, she yeah, knows. It's, I don't know why, that though, because every time up. I go in, they go, are you flossing? And I say, you tell me. Yeah. <laughs> like, they can that's tell why you. you're getting paid. If you cut it with a little bullet rye, there's a little <laughs> hopper. If you're going to do night water picking like I do, and you just put just a couple of fingers of bullet yeah. rye, and then the rest tap water. I'm not a weirdo. 
it, it's, a, it's a nice feeling. And then your so, do you son guys... comes in and finds you with that pick <laughs> rolling off your face. God, I forgot <laughs> to exhale again. Do you, do you guys do filters for like HVAC systems, water systems? Yeah, Steve, like... Steve actually developed a product for home air filtration. Why don't you tell him about oh, it? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm really intrigued. Because well, I you can't know, I'm stand kind of a... pulling that thing out full of cat hair and dust bunnies right? and all that. You know, I'm kind of a do-it-yourself guy. And, of course, you know, I came from the home building industry before I came to K&N 24 years ago. And so when I would go to Home Depot or Lowe's, I kept seeing trucks with decals and K&N decals. And, of course, you know, nobody likes, you know, to replace that filter. And you forget what size it is. And yeah. it's usually cheap and disposable. And then I thought, you know what? Why couldn't K&N do the same thing? I mean, we're trying to change the way people think about air filters from something cheap and disposable and paper to something of really high quality. And so, you know, last year, you know, we finally found the material to make a really good home air filtration. So now you just take it out in the backyard, put some 409 on it, wash it out, put it right back inside. And uh, so we're really, we really feel like the company's got a heritage in taking something that was cheap and inefficient and disposable and selling a consumer something that's a really higher quality product. So it's a washable, so it's first consumer. A washable home filter. You don't, yep. you don't oil it like you do the car filter. No, right? it doesn't have a tachifier. It's built into the material. And yep. how do you offer a million-mile warranty like on your other filters? <laughs> well, it's a long-life filter. Yeah. It's a lifetime About filter. About 15 for years, home. as long as your home air conditioning unit is, yeah. is operating, right? How many, <laughs> and, and how many sizes does that come in? Because I've, I'm, I'm yeah, going really through right. my own air conditioning system in my mind's eye, and I'm thinking of all the different yeah. sizes for all the different. Is there? Can you make your own size? There actually, there's about 22 of the most popular sizes, but obviously they go up into like 60 different sizes. Right now, we offer about 80 percent of the sizes, and we keep releasing more. Where, right now, uh, where there's does not one, a universal filter. Where does one find that? Right now, you can get it right off of KNNFilters.com. We sell it direct to consumers, and it's available through um, Amazon. Wow. So Amazon's been selling a lot of filters. Yeah, so today it's Amazon. In the future, we're going to go, how about DIY brick and mortar, right? And then there's, you know, service you know, service folks, right, in a multi-step, yeah. you know, approach. And uh, so in the future, that's, that's the kind of stuff that will happen. But think about it. This air filter is uh, elim- eliminating those pollutants that are coming in your house, making your air conditioning unit operate better, and then yep. saving the consumer quite a bit of money um, instead of, you know, throwing away those disposable filters and then, uh, you know, lessening our landfills, if that's, if that's important to anybody. It is. Not anyone here, but <laughs> there are folks back in L.A. who pretend to care. They're just trying to get laid. Let's be honest. Let's, let's be honest here, gentlemen. Uh, no, I, to me, the saddest thing ever is the old air filter, the cardboard one with the hair and the stuff in it. I, oh, and then I, whenever I change it, I'm like, but that's all the air's been passing through. I'm, I'm going. I got the water pick. I got the filters on the car. Now, now I'm getting the home filter. I had no, I had awesome. no idea. Yeah. And then in the future, there's there's data centers we should be protecting, right? You know, yeah. there are more and more data centers in the world. R- right. right. You want them to operate smoothly and things of that sort. So, so scrubbing the air. Wow. That's what the suit's here for. Yeah. Um, all right. Good job, Richard. <laughs> there, uh, I think Dempsey's out there walking yeah. around somewhere. Um, I mean, not that you guys are, you know. 
B-list celebrities, but we got an A-lister no, wandering around. We certainly do. Out we there. I'm a C-lister. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not judging. I, I was told there's, uh, we're going to be presented a gift before, uh, before they leave. I don't know if we're getting a gift or they're getting a I don't, gift. I don't, I don't really know, but we're going to... Uh, oh, Here there comes, you go. So so I brought Patrick. along some friends oh, from thank NHRA. You. Wow. And uh, uh, last year I won the world championship and uh, asked the president to come in. And uh, his name is uh, Glenn Cromwell, president of NHRA. And uh, he, he made you and Patrick both lifetime memberships of the NHRA. <laughs> Uh, so you look at the date wow. there, how far it goes out. So. Wow. It goes I, out. And, I uh, love that everybody yep. in motorsports give, gives booze for a gift. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. everyone's driving. Here's your license. It, 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 you know, it's drag racing. Responsibly, you know? right? it, 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 got a license and a bottle of it wine. Says, it's so weird. Oh, there's a boss sitting it, 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 it says it expires 12-31-2099 or until your chute doesn't open. Right. <laughs> 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 It's a weird thing to put on the car, but sure. I know. It's, I don't know why they have to put that ominous warning on the car. And how do they know? Maybe it'll always work. Well, rules are rules. All right, Patrick Dempsey has just uh, joined us, by the way. Thank you, uh, Steve. I, pre- I appreciate Very it. Very much so. And we want to let you know that we took it one step further, and we are inviting you and Patrick to teach you to race in a dragster I'd at love the to. Winter Nationals. We have the cars. NHRA is going to let us use the racetrack before the Winter Nationals. Uh, I'm going to license one of you. And then a friend of mine, Tom Bear, we have both dragsters. And then once we get you licensed, they've invited you guys to grudge race at next year's Winter Nationals. Hold on. On Saturday. We Come on, only have do gr- Come on. We, I do grudge I'm- sex. I don't do grudge <laughs> racing. I, I enjoy my racing. <laughs> So if it takes a turn for the sexual, uh, yeah, yeah. that will be an element. But I'm if we're really just racing, <laughs> it'll My be for the love. time's off already. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd the challenge is officially set. What are we dri- so what are we driving? We're driving a What's dragster. Drive, we've, I've got two dragsters now. Both these cars run well over 200 miles an hour. So what I'd like to do, though, is get you guys out there on Wednesday take you through a, what a normal driver would go through, a little bit of class time, and then get out there, go 60 feet, 330, 660, and then teach you guys how to drive. And I'm talking about a real license. I'd so love to be do an it. NHRA licensed driver. That's funny. Yeah. I was walking in here, and we were past Hemi under glass. Uh, and I, last time I saw that car, Jay Leno was rolling in it. And I was thought, that what he was rolling in when he came around the corner? He was rolling in Hemi under glass. Glass, uh, yeah. which, uh, again, another uh, ominous uh, warning to not get in the car. I'll do it. I love that I'm stuff. I'm into it. I'll try it. I'll, we'll try it, and Something then we'll have grudge. Have you done oh, any grudge match? Races? No, I've never, I've never done the quarter mile. I've never done any straight ahead anything. So really? only, only I was road here course in stuff. Las Vegas last weekend on the drag strip driving the new yep. Shelby GT500s. And, uh, by the way, great, great car round and round and round just going lap after lap and uh and before that uh the dodge challenger hellcats doing some track racing at uh what what do you what do you think will turn at the end of the weekend in that drag sir yeah what would be well, considered a good 
not a, a lap time. A good time would be probably in the 750 at about 195 to yeah. 200. It's incredibly yeah. fast. Yeah. And, it's you know, obviously fast. we want to, st- you don't want to, because both of you guys are accomplished drivers. You know how to drive. Yeah, right. But what I'd like to do is, I mean, it'll go 60 feet in sub, it'll go zero to 100 in less than a second. Wow. That's so I mean, quick. it is. It's a. It's that first sensation is is pretty amazing. I don't want to had eye contact since I, I got. I don't want to. You know, you know what? Even looking at you me. You know why? <laughs> I brought up the sexual thing, and now I can't get no the to phrase come. "some go, some blow" out of my head. That's all I got in my head right now. Some go, some blow, but now it means it's something. It's a whole different thing now. It means something else. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'm, thank you, Steve. I'm. I'm in. I'm in. You guys Patrick, heard a great yeah, no, you I'm, gotta, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to work on the dates. All right. Okay, great. Thank you very okay, much, Sean. Great. Okay, thanks, guys. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate it. Hey, guys, let me tell you about K&N Filters, the world's best air filter for over 50 years. You can improve vehicle performance, protect critical systems, breathe cleaner air. Visit knfilters.com to shop their industry-leading performance products. They have air filters, cold air intakes, tuning and cleaning products, and more. That's knfilters.com, and they have free shipping on orders over $25. Just go to knfilters.com. And uh, now we got Patrick Dempsey in here. Am I done? That's it? No, no. no, Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you, too. What's going on in your uh, motor world? Oops. Uh, Don't worry about that. I had a nice experience yesterday with Zero One out in the desert running Mm -hmm. around with the... um, what were you driving? Jordan, which was just a little razor, which was a lot of fun. I mean, bang for your buck, great experience. Yeah, uh, like buggy kind of it's stuff. Like a little, uh, yeah, the, the Polaris, UTVs, right? Yeah. Like the, the oh, four right. wheel yeah. UTVs, yeah. But the suspension, tires, everything, just a blast. Man, we were talking to. Uh, and uh, desert racing is so much to, fun. Uh, anyway. PJ Jones, Parnelli Jones' right, son, of and, and he. He's really into the UTV racing and his son races, and at this point he's developing parts for it. And he's like, when you really get into the racing, these things, it's not cheaper. <laughs> oh no, no, no! I no. mean, the more you get into it, the yeah. more you spend. But I'll tell you, the racers are the really products. quick. Oh I, yeah, I had I would had a great opportunity to run the mint, mm-hmm. and we at the very beginning, you you're, you're trying to chase down these little racers, and they get through the technical stuff so fast, mm-hmm. you get them on the long runs. But man, they're so much fun. They Are, look incredible, and it's fun. just great racing. Yeah. What's great, great uh, racing. what's the Lamar plan this year? The what season started. The new season started, so we got right. the young drivers in there. Our thing is really developing the young drivers and moving them up. That's what mm-hmm. we're you, really about. Are you are you continuing to race yourself, or are you trying to? Getting more into team owner team. Yeah, it's really hard not to be behind the wheel. It's great. Yeah. I mean, Lamont, I've I, I, I've done that. I've had a great experience here, but I'd love to do some sprint racing. Yeah. Um, if I was going to do one more race, I think uh, Vegas Arena would be a fun race. It was okay. funny. I turned on the TV, just finished remodeling the house, and turned the TV on for the first time, and boom, up pops the telecast. And I'm like, okay, maybe that's a sign. It's a sign. Have but, you seen Ford v. Ferrari yet? I've not seen it. Have you seen it? Yes, it I good? have. How yes, is it? It's very good. Yes. And you knew Shelby, right? Did you I didn't know. No, I didn't know Shelby. We know the Pete Brocks and all the mm-hmm. folks in his world and right. his orbit and all those guys from back then. And we interviewed all those guys for the 24-hour war and other movies we've done. But I, I never I met Shelby once at the Peterson, you know, a million years ago. I did a rally from the Peterson here for his like 84th birthday. And then yeah. he lived in, in, in my neighborhood. So I would go up and see him and he was always cooking. 
<laughs> it was really funny. Like blueberry pie was his thing. Oh, really? And it seems like sit, I would have said barbecue as well. He'd in his living room in the Lazy Boy, and then he'd tell you his racing stories. It's great. So I, I hope the movie does well. I mean, it would be nice yeah. to see a, a racing movie do well. There's other stories to be told. Yeah. it's a, like Dan Gurney, I'd like to see that story. I think a, that's an important one. Certainly a good, as a documentary. That's, it's a good movie. Uh, so, yeah, one of the guys that's portrayed in the movie is Phil Remington. Right. Who ended up then with Gurney and American... American, American Eagle. Racer, American Eagle Racing and all that kind of stuff. And when I went and interviewed Gurney, probably about a year, two years before he died. Yeah. I don't know. I went out to a shop. And, I think know, it was the last on-camera interview, Gurney. No, I went out to like Orange County where he was making parts for SpaceX. And he showed me Phil Remington's like workstation. He's right. like, that's Phil's workstation. He, Phil had died a year earlier. And it's like... That's it. And, you know, the thing that struck me about the movie, fresh on my mind, because we just interviewed when did you see it? Christian. I, they brought me out to watch it at Fox or whatever a, a month ago, and then I interviewed uh, Matt Damon and Christian Bale about it. James are they in the Mangle. cars? Are they racers, do you think? They're, they're not really. No. no okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. But I don't know <laughs> so. But, but they're I'll good actors. No. They, they, they act can pretend like they're, to be in their cars. They're racing. But, you know, the only fake part of the movie... <laughs> I must say, because you've never done this. I don't think I've never done this. I've done enough racing. There's that part where the one guy pulls up next to the other guy on the Molson straight, and then they look at each other, and they give real mean looks for a real long time, and then they look straight again, and then they look at each other, and they go, they scowl, and it's like... I think when people race, they just tend to look forward. Yeah, they're not going to be... Uh, uh, tend to race. There's no time for dirty looks. But it, it's a movie. They have to, they have to play it up, but... I'm just surprised they got the movie made. Oh, my that God. That itself it, is a miracle. It, yeah. so. it took a long time. Because I know there was Michael a, Mann had a project he wanted to get made for There was a while. that. Yeah. There was Go Like Hell. Yeah. There was a book that kept getting optioned by A.J. Right. Bame and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. um, what the hell is it? About? So the movie's good. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and uh, I was talking to all those guys uh, about it. And it's a really interesting kind of period piece because it, it's L.A., Venice, California, right. like in the 60s. And the real thing about the movie that's interesting Plus is... the industry out here at that time was major. You I mean, never, everybody was here. Could you imagine going to Venice and just making cars now? Like, no regulations, no EPA, no permits, no city, bunch of 19-year-old, like, hot rodders welding and building yeah. the cars for you. Can you imagine just in all places, Venice, California, right. just, like, going, I'm going to hang my shingle up, start making cars, and the city would be like, yeah, knock yourself out. Go ahead. <laughs> like, well, the funny thing is with the Cobra, they only had like one body, right? And they kept painting right. it for they every like journalist. It. Yeah. That's a remarkable The story. car companies still do that. I drove a Lexus LFA. I drove like a yellow one. I was like, oh, what happened to the white one? They're like, it's the same car. Right. We just painted it. We just, we're just figuring it out, bringing it out to a new And yeah, they show. learned from Shelby, yeah. which he, you know. Um, when you started getting into racing, you know, I, I moved out to California uh, long ago and... I spotted at the corner of my eye a car you don't normally see. I saw a Panos, probably a Panos Esperante. What color was it? And I roll up, and you're driving. Oh it. yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. And it seemed—I don't want to date it, but it seemed like a while ago. Maybe God, yeah, twenty that's what, years because ago. that's how I got started. I went down to yeah. do an event, a kids' uh, charity event in Atlanta, in Brazelton. Yeah, where I met Don and Dan Panos, and I walked around the factory, and then. Um, I they like, own a track cool. down there, too. Yeah, well, yeah, they, uh, Don Panos owned you know, several tracks. He owned Sebring, Mosport, yeah. oh, really? and uh, Road Atlanta. And uh, they had their racing program, and I went through that right after. I had won 
I think it was an auction to raise money, like the three-day racing school. Yeah. And that's how I got started. I mean, I'd, I had done a skip barber before, but then I got into the Panos school, and then I ended up buying a car yeah, from him, and then I sold it, and but it was fun. <laughs> Panos. It was so unusual. And that, it really is unusual. It's, it's sort of Shelby-esque, and it's got yeah. a Ford power yeah, plant. Yeah, it's all Ford. Yeah, right. it's got like a yeah. Mustang Cobra at the time, like a yeah. 99 or 2000 Mustang Cobra drive yeah, It was it, just yeah. unusual, and it was, uh, oh, yeah, I got to support this guy. He's trying to make some cars. I, you know, and then it, I got, you know, they actually won Le Mans. They won Le Mans yeah. with that car. Yeah. They had In a class. lot of success. It's, it's, it's interesting. I'm kind of wondering what the future holds in terms of value for cars like that. Because you take cars like, what is it, Spiker? Yeah. yeah. Things like that. And you kind of go like, first they came out and nobody wanted them. And then you could get them cheap. But I think they're going in, back they're up. They're going Maybe. back The numbers up. are so yeah. low. But I'm not sure how many have been made. Would be collectible, you know. Oh, the one a, with the right pedigree, certainly. Yeah, yeah. yeah the the Le Mans winning car. They so, had a prototype, and then they had the Esperante, which won in yeah. class. So, so what? what Who knows? Car, I think it's just in time. What cars are your drivers driving for your team? We're doing the Porsches, all Porsche. That's it. And it's all uh, 911. Uh, they're, not, they're not Caymans. Yeah. They're, they're not, not Caymans. No, no, they're all nine. The RSRs. So Who we're doing we? that. So it's, uh, the team is in the in the WEC, which is a World Endurance Championship. Okay. Is it a? And nine? I haven't tested the new car, so that's something. I'd Who like are to we do. talking to? That was talking about a nine eleven with a mid engine, which was like a little. I, bit Which I, is where it is. I, where's I Mr. Long? Long? He. Where's he? Yeah, I think, <laughs> we got to bring in Mr. Long. Like a little yeah. bit of a fudge. He's to try the one to get driving a, these cars now. Trying to get yeah. a mid engine in. But there. yeah, the new cars are the, the placement of where the motors is more and more like a mid engine car. Here he is, Mr. Porsche himself, Patrick Long is here. Two Patrick. How are Everybody. What did I do? We were talking long, about the uh, we're talking the about the new booth. Porsche WEC mid engine that evolution. Yes, um, insane. So basically, moving the engine forward of the rear axle gave so much more space for aerodynamics. So that was the biggest thing when I jumped in that car for the first time. Is all of a sudden I had that prototype level rear downforce, and downforce equals confidence for a driver. Le Mans, as you know, uh, the high speed corners, the Porsche curves. You need that aerodynamics to basically keep your foot down on the gas. What's the big difference between the cup car and that car now? Do you think uh, is it just more confidence? The car's not moving around as much. It's just on rails going through the corner because of the downforce. Yeah, bigger tire, bigger brakes, more aero, lighter weight parts, a lot more horsepower, uh, a lot more money to run the car, <laughs> yeah, as you should talk about as a as a car owner. Right. Um, but yeah, th- it's still a nine eleven. Both of these cars derive from the GT three that you can buy straight out of the showroom, but the allowance of rules to bolt more shiny, fast, expensive parts on. What, uh, I was going to say Patrick, Dempsey, what's your, <laughs> what track do you like the best? As someone who's, and I'll, uh, I'll, VIR, I'll, I love I'll put lot, it I all f- for both Patrick's, like traveling around the country and the world. Let's just keep it in the United States. What do you like? I think the older tracks, I, I really like uh, Watkins Glen is fun, VIR, Road Atlanta is really a lot of fun. I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, Road Atlanta is awesome. That's old school. Mazda Raceway, which is not no, it's no longer Mazda Raceway anymore. WeatherTech. I mean, those old school tracks, they just really, they just went out and they had a bulldozer and they laid them out. Uh, and, and there's something in them, the elevation change, uh, the risk reward factor, especially at VAR, uh, certain tracks. If you make a mistake, you're going to pay the price. Um, so that, that's it for me. What do you think? VIR is cool. I mean, that's basically, if you had a 100-acre backyard... And you told your your crew, I need the perfect racetrack to take my 935 out and play. That's basically very really? right. Sweeping, rolling hills, curbs, 
Um, very minimalist aesthetically. It's basically the OG racing country yeah. club. It's it's a cool place. And they lost the oak tree, which was really too. There was a corner up there, but the, uh, and that, the first winner of that big race. You know who that was? It was Carol Shelby in a Maserati. Really? Birdcage, yeah. Birdcage. Wow, bird That's right. Yeah, people That's a cool forget. Car. I don't think I'd ever race it, but it's a cool you ever car. see it though? Oh, it's oh scary. Yeah. yeah, it's called a birdcage <laughs> for a reason. <laughs> right. I, I just actually was uh, talking to Bruce Meyer. Uh, he sent me a picture. Of Shelby's had a big Ferrari that he raced in the, in the fifties, like a big, big privateer car, like a four point four liter, whatever, big displacement for for Ferrari. Uh, sort of Testarossa with the you know big intake on the hood and everything. I don't know who owns that car now, but um, he drove. You know, Ferrari drove Aston Martin. He drove, uh, and I think that whole thing about the sort of finesse of a, a lighter car and a more nimble car and a car that handled. I think we all like the kind of finesse of the European vibe versus the sort of just brute, you know, cubic inches kind of straight line. Stuff. I, I don't know what the wiring is that makes that. I don't know why I loved Datsun 510s, like a BRE 510 when I was 14 or 18. I, w- I wanted that car. I didn't want a Cuda or, or, or even a Corvette. Like I wanted yeah. that little nimble thing that felt like it was always winding up and you could throw around. Does that resonate with you guys? Do you have that feeling as well? Is that when you grew up thinking about cars, where, where is it? So I'm trying to kind of define it. Like I say to guys all the time, like they go, you're a car guy, I'm a car guy. And inevitably they're like, Cuda, Hemi, Hemi, Cuda, 440, six-pack. You know? And I'm like, yeah, what about the Dodge? What about a 510? Like what about a Datsun Roadster? And they're like, I don't know what that is. And I'm like, why? I'm trying to think the first – I grew up in rural Maine, so we didn't see a lot of exotic cars and mostly American muscle. But I do remember one summer I saw uh, a 120, Jag 120, mm-hmm. uh, and that the lines on that car blew me away. And that was the first European car I saw in, in the state of Maine. That was like – everybody else had vets, uh, you know, Smokey and the Bandits. Remember that? Sure. Yeah. Car, that was everybody's Trans-Am. dream car as a kid. Patrick. Well, not all kids, but I guess. Other Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> Little Patrick. Little Patrick. <laughs> Poor Patrick. <laughs> Ginger Patrick. Ginger Patrick. Yeah. What? I mean, I feel, I, I feel like if you're a Porsche guy, you're a finesse guy versus kind of a brute horsepower guy. Like, you like, I mean, their origins on uh, how much can we get away with as with little displacement as possible through being light and nimble and setting the car up and, and so on and so forth. So I feel like if you're attracted to, to a Porsche, you are attracted to the sort yeah. of finesse cars. Now now they have a ton of horsepower and they got big tires and everything else. But Yeah, it's sort of like um, if you grew up watching American Graffiti and you wanted this blown V8 that twisted the chassis when you revved it up and you just wanted to lay big black lines from the stoplight, then you were more of a, a, a Mopar or a GM guy. You were a Detroit Iron guy. But um, for you know Porsche family, they're in the mountains of Austria. They're engineers. They're designers. They want to run the back roads in all weather conditions and they want to smoke the competition. If you think about the late 40s, how big cars were and all of a sudden they roll into town. And it's like you talked about with the British invasion. It's these light sort of efficient, agile cars and you take that up into Mulholland and there's no chance that these big V8s are going to stay with it no matter how much horsepower and we all know from racing, weight 
versus horsepower, they're, they're equally as important. And all yeah. the GIs coming back from World War II, too, that, that brought everybody over. Then you started to see road racing develop after that. That's when all these tracks started, like VIR. These guys had a bulldozer. They'd go out, and they're like, let's do the turn there. We'll go around this way. And the size of those roads in Europe, you want a little car. You don't want a big American muscle car running around there. I love those stories, too, of the servicemen who were based over in Europe, and they spec'd out a 356, drove it while they were based over there, and then shipped it home with them. I own a 58 356 coupe, and it was a Denmark-based U.S. Uh, military man, and he ordered the car from Wester in Monterey, had it delivered to him in D- Denmark, drove it there while he was stationed there, and then brought it back to SoCal. Wow. How'd you get that information? How'd you track that down? <laughs> Dude, Porsche, Porsche owners, they're like plane spotters. They, you have the full storyline. I mean, when I bought the car, it had a yeah, full a binder. Booklet? Yeah. All the photos, all the, the owners. The I mean, the guys, they had a they journal. Every time they changed the, the oil, historian. they wrote in the journal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You drove your 912 to Monterey this year, right? That seems Which like is funny because a horrible the, uh, idea. It <laughs> seems like the worst idea when, I've heard. When, when we left the, uh, the simulator, you pulled over three times on the way out of that place trying to get that car. How yeah, did I you was get like trying to get the hood closed yeah, or something. Then, Matt's like, over there I'm in like, his <laughs> big, huge SUV. He's like, you all right down there? <laughs> yeah, I was like, what's going down? You're like, it's hot in here. The air doesn't work. And that is I the part I underestimated. <laughs> did, you, did you drive the 912 <laughs> yeah, to Monterey? I did, and I took the long way. So we had an... We, uh, we had a stop in Ojai for a little dinner, and then I jumped on 33 and took the back roads, which was unbelievable. But what I underestimated is it's still over 100 degrees when you get to Atascadero. It's hot. And with no AC, there's not even an airflow switch in that car. I was, felt like I was in one of my race cars. It was great training. Listen, next time, just get the Cayenne Turbo with the trailer and drag your car up there. It'll be a lot easier. That's not the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And how many cars... Did you drive at Monterey? Didn't you drive like five or six this year? Eight. Eight? <laughs> yeah. My God, man. You just went from car to car to car. Yeah. What was, was your favorite uh, one I in that? the word? Did like, you feel driving dirty? Whore? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, was just, uh, I mean, the, if, yeah. You, if you want to drive eight cars, when your run group is coming off, they're pushing your other car up to the grid so you can just get out of your car. You're not going back to the pits, right? Like there's literally another car waiting for you as you climb out of your car, right? Yeah, the mechanics have it there. It's a separate team. The oil temp's already up, and you don't take your helmet off. You roll into the pit lane. Everybody else goes exit of turn 10. You come around 11 into the pit lane, jump out of one and into the other. And I can't recall the order of the run groups, but there was a time when I was jumping like 1,500 more pounds and 250 more horsepower and going from a sequential six-speed to an H-pattern four-speed. I drove a a 59 Speedster that had like 90 horsepower all the way up to a 2001 LMP1 car that had like 750 horsepower. It was a 6.2 liter. So there was and everything in between. And I didn't plan on driving that many cars. And I, I never wanted to be that guy who's just jogging down the pit lane in his gear, jumping in his next car with his crew waiting. But it was a thing where the phone rang and it, Bruce Cannon was like, hey, you know, Rob can't make this race. So what do you say? You want to drive? Like, hell yeah, that's a bucket list car. Six of the eight cars I had never sat in before. And they were all cars that I've just dreamt of being in. So that, for somebody who's as spoiled as I am driving race cars for a living, is the pinch yourself moments. It's the moments before you were a professional where you're just stoked to experience a car. It's not about making money. What what were they? I mean, we have the two. What were the other yeah. six? I, 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 That's incredible, by too. the way. Yeah, <laughs> so the FW07 was 
the, the one I was most looking forward to, that one was planned. So that's the 83 Monaco winning Formula One car that K.K. Rosberg drove, a Williams Formula One car. Wow. That car, first of all, they started with an air starter, full full crew around you just to get it started. I mean, the whole body has to lift off if you need to prime the car. So just starting the car took like 30 minutes. What's so the livery on that car, just so I can picture it in my um, head? Um... The historians in this listening group are going to kill me, but it's white with blue and green. I mean, it's the yeah. proverbial early '80s, you know, Williams vibe. So it was it was before the turbo era. There's still a naturally aspirated Cosworth powered engine. Cosworth. But um, so from there, uh, the LMP1 we talked about, the Speedster. Um, I drove Bruce Canepa's 962 in in one session. That car is the kind of unfair advantage of 962s of that's Bruce's you, you creation Canapa, so yeah, yeah this car never I don't think this car ever raced with that many modern parts on it but it is the <laughs> ultimate 962 I mean the thing felt like it was doing wheelies on the front straightaway no power steering so you could only go as fast as you could physically hold on to the car because it will continue to produce downforce the faster you go and that's when they talk about downforce those are the the real days and you're coming in and out you're going from a 356 to a formula one car how long does it take you to make that adjustment at what point in your run are you starting to feel comfortable because you're the extreme so that you're going from one car to the next like that no, we're we're sending it into turn one. On You're the going start. in. You're yeah, I was going. with you in the 935 group. I ended up jumping in Chip O'Connor's, uh, Chip Connor's oh, Momo Chip. 935. Yeah. yeah, and so that was a wild group. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff in that IMSA GT group, and a 935 in itself is a. I'm sure you've talked about it on this on this podcast but just it handles really well in a straight line that's what i say <laughs> um so you basically just point it and hold on it's like a shovel with 800 horsepower on, on the back of and it that's a crazy that's class fantastic. then you jump into a modern lmp car and it's got all the grip in the world all of a sudden compared to everything else you've been out there it's I you, know, it seems like a hectic day do <laughs> very, you find i i tell me if this sounds like an accurate statement i only drove vintage cars and then he got me into a professional trans am race a couple years ago and i got to drive a c7r uh, corvette, yeah, C7R corvette in trans am one with uh, burton race and it had 850 horsepower and i never driven the car or anything but it felt kind of easy because it was like normal oh, like it's sequential, it, it, it's sequential and, and everything and worked and guys had computers and they were setting up the telemetry with the suspension like in between qualifying and everything and even though the the car was a beast it was like hey this kind of nice like it had a little water thing <laughs> i could drink water it it was fun and it was like was actually i found it not easy to drive just compared to the sort of craziness of even driving like an old Datsun Roadster or something like where the stick shifts hitting your leg and it's all weird and you got leaf spring suspension and a live rear axle and stuff like that like just just having a car set up just professionally done like for this track it it was relatively easy i would say probably the biggest obstacle in doing that is all the vintage races are they're small 20 minute sessions which is which is good but they got to get everybody out there like you said you did eight cars in one day basically you were out there for an hour you had to do like 100 laps and all of a sudden you feel you know there's no more tire left it's getting real slick and it's getting real hot and the weather is changing in the course of the day so when you guys do longer races not just lamont just races throughout the day anything from world challenge to imzo to whatever it's just i think adapting to the car as it i don't know sort of how it ages on the track even though it was 100 laps yeah i think it's when you do your second stint you're on old tires and then you have a full tank that handling changes dramatically 
That's when you can see the drivers really know how to get the most <laughs> out of that car. You watch the pros, you watch the AMs, and the guys that can really do those second stints well, that's, I think, the big difference. But you're right. I think it's a lot easier in the, the sense of the evolution, the technology's improved. But the old school driving, that technique, heel toe, all of that stuff, and it's a completely different driving experience. Where you're, I, you're smiling in a way because you're stepping back in time. I think it. I think it has to impact your driving the modern cars. I mean, having that that history, like in in Rocky Four when he went to uh, the Soviet Union to train. <laughs> you know, he's running up a snow hill and he's lifting a log over his head and there's rocks in a barrel and stuff. Like, isn't do you feel like driving those old cars sort of puts you? I don't know, gives you a, a little edge or at least connects you a little better when you climb into the new car like it, it there's something that's the visceral nature of those old cars and ha- what it takes to keep them on the road versus the new cars do you feel like that helps driving the modern cars for sure um a lot of people ask me how do i go faster on the racetrack how do i feel more comfortable in my road car and uh we we did this as an exercise when we were training for Le Mans. Go put yourself in a controlled environment on a loose surface track or a skid pad and hold a car sideways. Learn where the slip angle is. Learn how to communicate with your tires so that you know where the edge is. And when you get in trouble, you can pull yourself out of the you-know-what. And that part of old cars is a great exercise because the tire is small. It's old technology, bias ply. And so the car is just moving all the time. And then you jump back into this very digital experience where you have, like you talked about, the Trans Am car. Big tire, big brakes, driver aids, ABS, traction control. And now... You, you can almost be one step ahead of the car because you've been sliding around in this 1968 911 the weekend before. I will say, though, that the sensation of speed is much lower in the older cars. So when you jump back in the new stuff, it takes a little bit of adjustment because it's so much quicker. Things are coming at you so much faster. The uh, arrow that we're referring to sort of the top of the show and the crazy downforce, uh, the story I always tell is, when I got in that race, they said, I know it was a 100-mile race, and they said, you know, after 75 miles, the tires are going to get pretty greasy or whatever, and they're going to start to kind of go away. And so we'd be up at the horseshoe where the Budweiser thing is at, at Willow Springs, and I started noticing, like, oh, yeah, the car, everyone's sliding around, and you're turning the wheel a lot more, and you're trying to feather it before you really get back on it, like coming back down. And I was like, boy, these tires are going away. And I was behind a couple of professionals, Tommy Dreesey, and who was leading the race, and I was in third or fourth at the time. And these guys were going for turn eight, and they were wide open. And I was like, all I could think of is, like, we're all going off. We're <laughs> never going to be on this track. What are you guys doing? We're going 160 miles an hour for this turn, and we just got done sliding all over the place. I had no arrow thoughts at all i only and i'd never had a conversation with the team owner or anything i just went these guys know what they're doing so i'll just stay with them and if they don't lift i'm not lifting either and everyone stayed on the track but it freaked me out for the last 25 laps of the race and then when i got out of the car it's like how can we stay on the track with no tires he's like it's all arrow man and i'm like you should have said something (laughs) before i got in the car and then the other one they did, which was funny, is they have the old digital dash now, you know? And then I was like, I got out of the car and qualifying or something. I was like, I don't know what gear I'm in. I don't know what the temps are. I don't know what the speed is. I don't know what the RPMs are. And he, the guy leans in and he goes, oh, you had it in pit mode. 
I said I didn't have it any. Yeah, I never. You I, had it. I was scared to touch any. I I don't want to touch the steering wheel. He, not the, he, the guy like flakes it and he goes, "Yeah, that's track mode now. That's RPM stuff." I'm like, okay, somebody put their head in this car next time and figure this out. You know, you were talking about Arrow. I got a. I had a chance to do a few laps uh, in a Lotus a V10 F1 car out at Thermal, cool. and. Part of the training was they had these Lotus Evoras, the Evoras's with the supercharger. And you're out there, you're doing a bunch of laps and learning the track a little bit. Thermal's very flat, so it's it's more just you can see everything out there. It's not anything like uh, like like you said, Atlanta or even Laguna Seca. And uh, you know, just just typical running around the track. You're like you're hitting the turn. You hear the tire tire squeal. It's like either less throttle or less steering, right? That's all you can do. They're like, okay, now you did two days of learning that, you're getting the F1 car, and when you take the turn, and if you hear the tire squeal, hit the gas more, because it's got to go faster to push down. That car is all arrow. And it was, it's just, he's like, forget everything you just learned. I was like, then why did we do that for two days? Why did we just drive those cars for two days to do that? But that car just... You, you mash it down on the straightaway, and it, it does turn into a cartoon. Everything gets blurry on your sides. You, you think that's just a movie thing, right. but you're like, no, that actually does happen. And your, your helmet starts to lift off your head because, you know, it's obviously open cop. And you're like, why am I choking? You're like, my helmet is pulling off your head. And on the top of that, that steering wheel, the, 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 basically the rev counter, which goes up to, you know, to the, to the shift light, it's, it's just fast. It's just whoosh. I'm like, what's the power plant on that car? It was a a V10. Um, I don't know what year, maybe 2010 or so. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think they can make something like 750 horsepower. They detune it a little bit to like 650. And they said just doing that is the difference between like 10 hours and 100 hours of, of livability basically on that engine. They're like, just bring it down a notch and... It's ten times the life. And I'm like, what? Oh, that's why F1's so expensive. <laughs> All right, uh, let me hit uh, Castrol Edge. Stronger under pressure, engines can lose up to ten percent of performance due to friction. Castrol Edge with fluid titanium transforms under pressure, keep the metal parts from rubbing and robbing. Three times stronger. Three right. times, fool. Then leading full synthetic against viscosity breakdown. It's the best. It's Edge. It's Castrol Edge, everybody. All right. What is the, uh, on, a, on like a Kenapa 962 versus uh, Williams F1 car, what at Laguna Seca, what, what kind of time differences are we talking about? Oh, I, I don't know lap. I mean, I couldn't tell you what lap times I did last weekend, but I could, I could guess that I think it was Mark Chenet who set the record in a, an, a, an older Ferrari at, at Laguna Seca, as we call it. Um, I would guess 10 seconds plus. Wow. It's quite a big difference. And horsepower-wise, again, back to this weight and horsepower, there was probably more horsepower in the 962, but the weight of a Formula 1 car and the downforce, those are the unfair advantages, let alone 30 years of development of electronic aids and tire development and brake technology, things like that. But experiential-wise, I would guess completely different, two, two completely different experiences both individual and, and unique and, and both both awesome. I heard from somebody that uh, 962 is a relatively, I don't mean simple, but an easier car to drive than like a, a traditional rear-end Porsche. Like it's just better balanced, not as challenging. Is that, is that a true statement? 
I would say so. Um, physically very difficult, but fundamentally to operate the car and, and the grip and the weight distribution and balance, yes. I mean, 962 is a mid-engine car, uh, single or twin turbo, um, well, decades ahead of its time. I mean, that's why that car was successful for you know, 20 plus years is, is that Porsche had basically, again, pulled a rabbit out of the hat and engineered a car that basically blew the Group C sort of traditional days wide open. And of course, they had great competition from Jag and Nissan and some others. But from a longevity standpoint, that, that car was well ahead of its time. And yeah, you jump into it. Fundamentally, um, as soon as you learn how to shift the car, um, there's not much to have to do from a, a digital side. It's a very analog car. And uh, it's probably the best era of racing, in my opinion, would be sort of the late 80s, when it was still analog, um, very visceral, very emotional. But producing lap times that would hold up against modern GT competition today. Yeah, Nissan had some pretty killer GTP stuff, and, and Jag was into it, and it was really a... And the, and, and the cars, you know, eventually everything's going to be vintage, I tell everyone. And the cars, they hold up. Like, they look good. You kind of remember them. The I remember all the liveries, you know, like the, the, the low and brow on a G on a nine six two is like an awesome livery. Yeah. Winds is is cool. I think Hotch the Hotchkins guys have the Winds car. Yeah, they had the Winds car. I think. He might I think. Have sold it, but. All right, let me give you guys uh, a plug. What's the next event that you guys are going to? Uh, the next race. The next. Uh, What's on the calendar? What do you got going? I think uh, we're going to go up into the Santa Monica Mountains this winter because this is the <laughs> off season for both of us. So it's all about taking uh, our vintage Porsches up into the hills. Patrick doesn't know it yet, but uh, <laughs> we, we got that all set up. Um, but no, it's uh, it's coming up on off season from the from the racing side. For you guys, though, you have WEC coming up. Yeah, we've got the next race in China is coming up, and then uh, that season's going to go. And we go to China, and then we take a break through the holidays, and then we're at Sebring. Uh, I'll get into the car a little bit, try to get some testing in. We've been trying to work on that. I'd love yeah. to do some sprint races. Really love off-road racing. I mean, really enjoy that, too. So just to get in a little bit mm-hmm. and balance out the family and, and work and everything. So Is we'll your see. racing like to, team going to grow into off-road, do you think? No, I'm really, I think what our thing is really developing the young drivers. I think Patrick and I really want to find the next young American driver to get to Europe. That's what yeah. we're working on in a couple of those projects. It's like, uh, I mean, Patrick's career to me would be, if I could start over, that would be the career I'd want. I mean, he's, he's, have you not, what race haven't you done that you want to do? Pike's like Peak? the Mille Mille or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but yeah. Now, the modern race, um, I've been very fortunate to basically check off the boxes from Baja 1000 to NASCAR to V8 supercars and of course every single sports car race and so um, yeah very grateful on that level but uh, I had some fun with you out here in the desert we did the Mint 400 a few years ago and this guy's a madman I, we take off first of all you're lining up at 3.30 in the morning to to start the race and so the and you can't sun see hasn't and even broke and it's just pure dust and this guy's wide open just hitting tumbleweeds he passes me on the outside later on in the race the other part of the story is he flips the thing <laughs> it lands on the wheels straight to the starter button and just it kept going. going we wow. kept going yeah. that was the thing that couldn't believe so, yeah, the, the off-road stuff is fun, but neither one of our insurance underwriters want to know what we yeah, do no, in the off-road I, side. I, yeah. How intense is the V8 supercar? I mean, I've seen some of that. I don't know. It's At big Bathurst? in Australia yeah, and whatever. Bathurst. That racing looks so goddamn fun. That just looks like so much fun. It, it's like, in a way, it kind of takes the best parts of the road circuit of NASCAR and mixes it in with sports car racing and GT, whatever. But those guys are right on each other all... I mean, was that... 
Is that up there for you in terms of just a thrill? Definitely. Um, an amazing event, an amazing series, but the cars themselves, spec brake pads, spec tires, lots of horsepower, kind of that old school Group C or Trans Am vibe. I mean, imagine that Trans Am car you drove with 800 horsepower, but with four inches less tire right. and no driver aids. And now you have 30 cars with top level drivers and teams. I mean, you have Andretti buying in over there, Penske, all the top teams from the U.S. have bought into this championship and there's basically cricket and you know v8 supercars that is their pinnacle of motorsport so you roll into a, a liquor store on race day weekend and there's cardboard cutouts of these drivers i mean it's a really big sport over there tabloid centerfolds all that type of stuff so you, you i was way overwhelmed by the whole experience but the driving side other than shifting with my left hand because it was all still right. a sequential box right hand drive and we're on a street track so you have to run right up to the edge of the track at surfers paradise other than the coordination with my left hand uh, the, the rest was okay well, that, that is some of the most exciting racing you'll see on TV. Yeah, that was you, the, I never got a chance to do that. Bathurst is always the one I regret I never had an opportunity to do. I know it's scary as all hell, and the elevation it's is scary. crazy. The kangaroos is the, the wildest part of Bathurst, is they have like a, a, it's like a, Montreal a yellow with flag the, with like a, an animal on it, and that means watch out because Skippy has made it through all of the different barriers but, they've put up, and the things want to cross the track because you're on the side of a mountain outside of Sydney, and legitimately, we think kangaroos are this novel animal. They're rodents to the Aussies, and they're just, they're just big rodents that get run over by trucks. And so, yeah, they find their way onto the racetrack, and it ends the day for the race cars. So well, that's like that Montreal's was, like that, too, with not the, the kangaroos, but with the woodchucks or whatever it was, or the groundhogs running out in front of you all the time. Well, L.A.'s getting that way with the homeless. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. All right. Uh, Pat, Ruins hey, the race car, people. as you said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's got the, it got the splitter all screwed up yeah. on my Johnson. Yeah. Uh, Hurley, people should see, by the way, a great documentary on Hurley Haywood, which I had the opportunity to watch a couple months back when Patrick came in. Uh, Patrick, should we just send people to the website, DempseyCenter.org, if they want to know about your charitable organization or check out your Instagram? Yeah, if you, uh, anybody in your family has been impacted by cancer, we don't treat the disease. We treat the person. We treat the whole person, the family. So if there's any help we can do, we have two centers in Maine. Um, but if you're anywhere in the country and you need some assistance, please call in. We can direct you to, uh, you know, similar like-minded centers in your area if we can. So check and, it out and certainly support us. And uh, Patrick Long, patricklong.com. And uh, you can shoot him an Instagram or tweet at uh, PL Motorsport as well. We cover When's your next event, Patrick? Yeah, we also do a little show called Lufkakult, which uh, we're oh, grateful yeah. you guys came out and brought your car. That was a yeah, lot of fun. Are you allowed Thank to you talk for about it uh, uh, a quarter of a mile away from our yeah. shop, by the way? That was yeah, fantastic. That, that, that was, that was, I waited to, to, to tell you guys how, how far you had to travel yeah. once we had the venue locked down. Yeah. Are, are you, do you have any news on uh, 2020? Do you, you're looking at, looking at venues? We are fixed on our venue. We're fixed on our date. We haven't announced either, but uh, we're excited to throw another curveball. This will be our seventh year of Luftgekult. We've done a few other events outside of the U.S., Germany. We did Munich and England, but um, this year's main show will be toward the end of May and uh, look for some new developments in how it's all going to go down. People think they have us figured out by now. Oh, it's an L.A. show, and it's at the end of April, and I'm going to book my tickets eight months in advance. And we're, we're blown away. We had 48 of 50 states and 22 countries in attendance at last year's show at Universal Backlot, this year's show right. uh, that you came to. Um, so it's become sort of this world uh, gathering of crazy air-cooled 
you know, Porsches. But the whole idea of Luft from when we first kicked it off in 2014 when Patrick came down in his 356 was undoing the stigmas of car shows and creating a happening where um, even your non-car um, gearheads in the household want to attend but still having the best of the best cars and working with partners like AEM who have the the 935 behind us that that was there this year um it's a it's a dual objective but we're we're still keeping up with the demand I tell you, congratulations on that event. I can't think of any event, let alone a car event, that has grown faster and uh, just continues to get bigger and better and, and, and just a, an amazing Great event. spirit at these it events really and is. the cars and the people. and it, it, They're so well attended and there's, it's so diverse and, and there's so many enthusiasts out there. And it, 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 it's sort of confusing. You'd be like, why would this be so attractive? It's the way it's put on. Um, I, we had a great time, and we look forward to coming to the next one. And, and uh, oh, we got another Porsche. Oh yeah, we got uh, <laughs> Paul Newman's 1974 911S, which has uh, it's the naturally aspirated engine, but with the RSR bodywork and stuff on it. It's very it's, cool. Right. And it's he bad ran bad. it. Yeah. He drove it at Sebring in '77 uh, with uh, let's see, at an Audi Beverly Hills uh, Audi Porsche uh, Freeman livery. Uh, and Bill uh, Freeman was uh, the guy. Who did so very cool. Maybe that would be yeah. a cool so two uh, piece Porsches to bring down. Two now. Porsches. Now, uh-huh. now that livery. Um, kicks my nerd nerd senses on and uh, we need that car this next year and, and well, it'll make more sense later so let's, you know where it is just then. tell me if i need to put some parts in the pickup truck and come up and <laughs> wrench with you guys but let's get that thing going for the end of may definitely oh, it's, it's good it's in great shape i think it runs all awesome. right, can drive right. That. yeah that's cool we can thanks patrick thank you good Appreciate to see you it. it's good to always talk good. to you always good thanks always for having us thank you so thanks, much buddy. thank you see you soon Real quick, let me tell you a little bit about Geico, our friends at Geico. We love them over there. Everybody's got a to-do list. You're dropping off your dry cleaning, picking up some milk. Now you can add, save hundreds of dollars on car insurance to that list, and you don't have to drop off or pick up anything. If you just go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could be saving 15% or more on car insurance. So if you want some extra money in your pocket, this is the most rewarding to-do you can do today. Go to geico.com. All right. Guard Hollinger, we haven't seen you since Europe, right? Uh, Goodwood. Since Goodwood. 17, I think. Yeah. Uh, Guard is uh, Canna Reeves' uh, partner in building uh, Arch Motorcycles, as uh, featured on Jay Leno's Garage a couple of seasons ago. Very fortunate. He does everything that we do first, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. everything that's on CarCast ends up he on Jay Leno's Garage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we like we him, and he's very sweet. <laughs> we have some mole sending him your schedule. Yeah, yeah he's, uh, he's down there. So Arch Motorcycles, I'm so impressed with it. Uh, we spoke, like you said, it was a few years ago uh, at, at Goodwood, and um, I, I love what you guys are doing just in the craftsmen, just the... the, just the the fabrication, the design, the the, the the amount of machining stuff you guys have been doing and over the years, even since we, we spoke last. Um, a lot of carbon fiber development is fantastic on the bike. Uh, there's there's a couple of Arch motorcycles I'm looking at here at the K&N booth, just so we can be clear on this. Um, so there's uh, there's a connection, but sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and uh, what I was going to say is, is some of the elements, the the split gas tank with with... I guess the 
the intake sort of hidden in, inside there yeah. makes it so that you don't have to have this air filter hanging off the side where you know where where you hit it with your leg and right. just I don't know, just some really really cool design elements. Wanted to thanks. I was just going to let you keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't need you for this. I, uh, I, uh, I love the bike. So <laughs> thank you. That's really we nice. just stand there and look at them and like oh look at the machine work here and look at the machine work here. Yeah, we're a everything obsessive fits perfectly. about that kind of stuff. But uh, but yeah, what you're talking about is like the induction system being sort of squeezed in the middle of the bike and hidden between the tank, so you don't have that big thing in your leg yeah like like you typically have on a big v-twin so so the the arch motorcycles are uh, we're fans of singer porsche so i would say in a sense that it's a production bike but it is bespoke so it's you go in and what you meet with you guys you say hey i want one of your bikes and then you say great now let's design it and figure out what you want yeah and here it's just that's the price. That's it's, precisely it's what what's really unique about it in the motorcycle world is that it is a production motorcycle, but it's designed to be tailored to the customer. So ergonomically, we, we can shape the seat. We can move the foot controls, hand controls, fine-tune it to them. And then, all, of course, all the finishes and the livery and the colors and everything is, is custom to them. So it, when it's done, it's on a proven platform, but it's unique to them. Is uh, is it good? We love what's going on with Singer and Rod Emery and uh, Jonathan Ward. Yeah, no, you know, I we can't. love yeah. the idea that you can take these guys and and I've I've seen the Singer guys a million years ago and Jonathan Ward and all these things and it, it seems like such a harebrained scheme. You know, it I'm is. I'm going to make this. <laughs> I'm going to take this Bronco and I'm going to sell it for two hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars. You know, and everyone's like, "Are so you nuts? It's <laughs> never going to work." You know, and. I love that the that the consumer has woken up to this sort of craftsmanship and and, and it's the story. Like I was talking to Leno about Arch Saturday, and I was saying, you know, a singer Arch, you have a story. It's a story. You can go buy a stock Kawasaki that works, you know, but you don't get the story. With that's that. a different story. It's a yeah. different story. So I went down to Van Nuys <laughs> and there went to the I Kawasaki gave up, I dealer. Gave up Twelve thousand dollars, and they gave me a motorcycle. But <laughs> you guys must be rooting for the singers and the Jonathan oh, Wards out there of the world because the the resale is going through the roof. It's proven that it works. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's fantastic. Look, look at what can you buy a singer under a million bucks now? Well, one sold know, for like, like eight sixty eight, eight, or something. something. Yeah. A used one. Yeah, at Gooding, <laughs> yeah. at, uh, or Gooding or RM. It was at it was at an auction. I don't know yeah. how you even get on the list now. And and um, what's interesting is for them, one of the things that they've done is people that bought like a first generation singer, if if that's the right term, they're able to bring it back and sort of get it updated to. So you never really know what year it was. Oh, made. really? Okay. And and what I've noticed with you guys is the KRGT one was the first bike that you have, but this is the 2019 or 2020 version yeah. of it. Has features it didn't have. You, have. you guys have ABS brakes on the bike. Yes. Now. I mean, a lot of this was driven by the desire to sort of keep up, not only with technology, but also regulatory things. And we're really close to having the European type approval so that, you know, a customer in Europe can buy it and easily register it. Their, their regulations are much more strict than, than uh-huh. here in the U.S. Oh, really? So a lot of it was driven by that, um, but but uh, it's nice to also add some technology and safety, right? I mean, yeah. motorcycles aren't safe by nature, but right. 
anything you can do to take any anxiety away from the rider is a, is a How did the uh, relationship with Keanu start with you or with Arch, or how did, how did that work? So somebody introduced me to him at my old shop, and um, he wanted to have a sissy bar built. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't really want to build a sissy bar. <laughs> and so then he saw some motorcycles I was building, and he, and he said, well, what else can we do to my motorcycle? And basically, we threw everything away except the serial numbers on the engine and the chassis and built what ended up being the prototype for the KRGT1. Um, even before it was done, because it was being built sort of uh, in the virtual world mm-hmm. at the same time, he started saying, we should make some more of these and share them with the world. And well, I speak- said, let me yeah. just finish this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of the world, and you were just talking about getting them certified in Europe and, and, and beyond, I'm, I'm guessing these things are going to get shipped out all over the place. What is a big market for you guys or for motorcycles that might not be in the United States? Well, obviously Europe. Right, and then if you have the European type approval, that pretty much gets honored in Asia, Japan, Australia, Canada. So it opens up our market tremendously. So we, we mentioned the ABS brakes being, I guess, a requirement to get that approval. What else needs to be done? There's all kinds of wacky stuff that um, emissions must be something. Well, emissions emissions are a big one, but there's even they have this a whole list of things they call external projections and it'll just bore you to death but you you have to have a certain amount of clearance for your tires to not touch anything but not even just a tire an imaginary envelope created by a formula based really? on the tire size wow that has nothing to do with reality of sure. how a tire grows and it's it's just a yeah, crazy list and everything's a formula with some weight of measurement or or yeah. a distance that you're not familiar with. Is uh, <laughs> is there a waiting list? Is there backlog? How many of these things can you do in a in a month? How's that business part of it working? So we're very very low volume right now. We think our capacity is maybe 25 motorcycles a year. Mm-hmm. Um, the waiting list is really just the time it takes to build it. You know, we we usually are able to build and deliver the motorcycle within 90 days of completing the sort of the creative process with the customer. Most of that time, honestly, is spent dealing with outside finish processing and doing the quality of that. It's mm-hmm. assembly and testing. Sure. We can do it in about two weeks. If the power plant is derived from what or what? So the power plant is made by a company in Wisconsin named S&S Cycle. And it's basically a derivative of a Harley-Davidson engine. So it's... I would S&S say, is another brand that's grown huge over the years and, and got into drag racing motorcycles and Yeah, all and they've been around yeah. for over 60 years, and they're really good at what they do. And yeah. The displacement is what? 124 cubic inch, so a little over 2 liters, 2032. Wow. That's huge. It does yeah. seem huge. <laughs> it's yeah, a it huge engine. So what kind of power do you guys make with that? So it's mostly a torque. Yeah, like the horsepower numbers aren't super impressive, but the torque is you know like 100 foot pounds of torque that happens like from 1800 RPMs at 2000 RPMs. So it's like immediately when you when you twist the throttle. I had a Honda 404, (laughs) which is four pistons and 400 
cc's. Yeah. So you could imagine the size of that piston. Yeah. I'll tell you. I'll tell you though that bike handled really oh, yeah. well. I love. I love a, a a good handling bike. I always brag to people. They always think I'm lying, but I'm like, what do you think? I'm an asshole. I rode that thing down Coldwater Canyon one night from Mulholland, and I never touched the handlebars. Just, just I just put my hands on... Just flying with your I, arms I put, out. I put my hands on the tank. <laughs> okay. I just leaned forward. I worked the foot brake. I kicked it in neutral. I was like, you know, 22 and bored. And I went all the way down Coldwater Canyon from Mulholland... I made it past Ventura Boulevard. I made it past more. I got all the way to Rope Moore Park. Like I made the lights. I was just coasting the whole time. My foot on the on the brake. It worked. It wasn't even hard to do. Like it. I don't know. The guys who do have the bikes where they're all laid back and they're ape hangers and everything. I I worry about those guys. Like I would be freaked Again, out. It's with a the different ape-hanger. experience. It's a different experience. It's a different story to tell. Yeah. But I just feel like the handling, I mean, the, uh, the arch, the position of the arch stuff looks so so great. I just like that position of sort of leaning forward rather than yeah. hanging on. Well, and the, the, the KRGT1, obviously, is forward control, so it's a little bit different riding position. But it's not, you know, you're not back on the sofa. You can be active and up and in it. But this is a new motorcycle that we're, we're industrializing it's beautiful. Now called the 1S. And so it's much more sport oriented. And is the, the, can you take the price? Like, what's the base? And then what could you take it to? So, for example, a KRGT1, the base price is 85000 There isn't really a lot you could do to it. Sometimes there's a little bit of an upcharge depending on the complexity of the paint. Mm-hmm. Or I suppose if you wanted uh, an elephant ear seat. Right. First of all, we probably won't do that. But, um, so really, most everything can get covered under in that 85K. Like I said, sometimes a slight upcharge for paint. Um, the 1S is going to be at 120, and it'll probably be the same thing. It'll be, probably be very few things that there will be upcharges for. Where should people go if they want to check out uh, Arch and look at some they of They could go to stuff. archmotorcycle.com. I'm uh, trying to find your your plug sheet here. I don't know. What that, oh, I'm <laughs> yeah. looking at it. Sorry. Yeah. I got too many sheets on me. I had a, by the way, to be fair to me, I, I got up at five this morning, got on an airplane. You cut me some yeah. slack. Ah, there we go. Yeah. Oh, not that. But go to archmotorcycle.com. Chris, do we have any, do I have a commercial read or anything like that here? All right. Well, uh, Gard, thanks for coming in, man. It was good hey, to see you again. You're welcome, and I'm um, glad to see you guys again. And congratulations, because the stuff just looks. Uh, it's it. I, I'm just. I I, I I I talk to Matt about it all the time. I'm like, I love people out making their stuff. I love. I love when you get up on one of those singers or one of those Jonathan Wards or one of the arch things. I love. I, we both are sticklers for the details and the fasteners, and the, I'm looking at the front brakes and the stars, uh, star-driven nuts on there and everything. It's like I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what it takes to appreciate that. I wish more people were into, the, into yeah. that. Part when you of life. see the bike, you guys have to see the bike in person if you get a chance because it, it is very raw. And it's very functional, and that creates so much beauty in the product. It is, I think, the best-looking bike out Thank there. Thank you. Very, very you kind. guys can see, when you really crawl in and look at the details, uh, like the, every, by the, just the way everything fits on that thing is fantastic. But congratulations again. Good. Well, I appreciate it. And stay tuned, because actually the reason we're here is we have a partnership with k and 
and so we have some new product development that'll be coming so oh good more stuff go. hopefully look forward to that and uh, give our love to Keanu I will do and uh, until next time this is Adam Crawler for uh, Patrick Dempsey and Patrick Long and uh, Gard Hollinger and, uh, and Steve, Steve Williams and, and uh, <laughs> wait who is it and Richard oh Richard Pisson. and uh, Richard from the uh, Canaan booth at uh, SEMA saying mahalo for the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com. trinity of power you need all three to bring your engine to life kenny and norm knew that which is why for over 50 years the company that bears their name has been re-engineering what filtration can do engineered to protect against dirt and scientifically proven to provide up to 50 percent more airflow knn 50 years of performance and innovation pulling up to mickey d's just for drinks oh yeah that's me Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world... Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.